0: Welcome to the Hydric & Struggles Leadership Podcast.
1: Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous
0: times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for
1: joining the conversation. I'm Amanda Worthington, partner at Hydrogen Struggles and the America's Regional Managing Partner of the Consumer Markets Practice. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Maria Stipp and Cassie Nielsen about diversity and private equity. Maria Stipp is CEO of Stone Brewing, the largest brewery in Southern California and the ninth largest craft brewery in the United States based on 2020 sales volume. Cassie Nielsen is a talent partner at VMG Partners, a private equity fund specializing in building iconic consumer brands, which backstone brewing, in addition to backing brands currently and formerly such as Spindrift, Sunbum, Lily Sweets, Kind, Daily Harvest, and more. Maria and Cassie, welcome. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So question number one to get started. We've historically seen fewer women interested in pursuing careers in private equity. And hope that through this discussion, we can get both private equity firms and female executives to think differently about the industry. Maria, starting with you from your experience, what are some of the reasons women may not be interested in private equity? And what are the different realities you found in your role?
0: Well, I'll talk from my personal experience, which before I had exposure to PE firms, what I heard about them many times was that it was a a pressure cooker, a very imbalanced work life, rooms full of bankers and really no one there to build a brand, rather how to maneuver the PL and and working on really short timetables where they were looking for a return on their investment. And really coming from an experience like I had over the years where I was about brand building, I wasn't sure how brand building and also having teenage twins would fit into that story of pressure cooker slash room full of bankers and bankers being male, I will also stress. I just wasn't sure if I would fit in, to be honest, or if I had the skill set, and so I think I probably underplayed my value in that regard until I realized what PE firms are actually looking for: somebody to grow brands, to come up with creative ways of finding growth, and really unlocking the value of the asset, which fundamentally is building and growing the company. So we had more in common than I had thought from the outside.
1: Brands and private equity can't go together. Cassie, from your side. And from the private equity perspective, why is it so important for the industry to think differently about diversity?
2: Yeah, well, I'm grateful that my team has always felt that team organization is one of the most important things for us to support our companies doing, if not the most important. So even before my role existed, that's where they've spent a disproportionate amount of their time. When it comes to diversity, a team can't possibly be as strong if it is not also diverse. And there's so much research out there about this. Just to point to one, there's a really great McKinsey study focusing on the linear relationship between ethnic diversity and financial performance. For every 10% increase in the ethnic diversity of the senior leadership team, there's a full percentage point of profitability gain. So we shouldn't have to point to the financial reasons for doing this, but unfortunately, that's a big motivator for the private equity industry. And then if you look at consumers, especially, which is obviously our focus, consumers are changing. Almost half of millennials identify as Black, Hispanic, or Asian. I imagine that's even more so true for the younger generation. And their purchasing power has more than quintupled over the last 30 years, outpacing that of the white purchasing power growth. So just all of the reason why if we're not thinking about our own composition, our portfolio's compositions, and the consumers that we're serving, we're just not going to serve them as well.
1: Absolutely. And frankly, an area that private equity is now just really thinking about and jumping into with funds like VMG leading the charge there. Cassie, how is VMG driving that change? How are you contributing to the overall narrative? I think what's important is it can't just be one thing. The approach has
2: to be holistic. So I'll just share some examples. I think one, it starts with our team, and we get commentary quite a bit on our website. I think it's very normal, unfortunately, to look at a private equity site and see a lot of old white dudes. And if you look at our website, it looks very different. So I think that's one. I think an underfocused part of the ecosystem is actually the LP community. That's a group that's lacking in diversity. And so there's a lot that we're actually doing to survey our LPs around what they are doing and hold them a little bit accountable, which has come with some mixed reviews. I think it's taking courage to do that, but generally really well-received. And then there's a lot that we're doing with our portfolio companies. We're asking them to provide census data around their employee populations, including ethnicity, gender, and particularly looking at compensation, equity in particular, because that's really where wealth creation happens. And then I want to give a shout out to a new program we rolled out this year that a couple of my colleagues have been piloting. And that is focusing on a internship program among all of our portfolio companies that is prioritizing historically excluded interns and putting them in front of an amazing speaker series and just giving them access to awesome operators.
1: Sounds like a masterclass in both developing talent and raising them and giving them access to rooms that most don't see until their 30s or 40s. That's incredibly unique and really impactful. Just thinking about this piece and driving this a little bit further, Maria, how has VMG supported you in improving diversity and what business impact has that had so far?
0: Well, I know she mentioned it, but I have to say again, their website is really unique. It has a point of view. And it's clear what that point of view is and what it stands for, which is clearly around this whole notion of diversity and, you know, to make it as obvious as it needs to be, both in terms of what they say on the website, but also the people, the pictures, the stories, all of it. And it's not just the rhetoric. It's when you meet them individually. So they are living their values, which doesn't always take place. I think we've been in places where there's a lot of quotes on the wall, but yet not the behavior to follow. And I've really seen that and I really have appreciated it. I would say, personally, how I've seen it come to life is, well, they hired me. I may not look exactly like your stereotypical CEO, who knows, you know, whatever that is supposed to be. But I also check a few boxes on the diversity column, got that going for me. I was chosen for Stone, which also, Stone Brewing in general, is very male, of course. I think we all have seen that too. And I was chosen for this really cool role you know, to me, that's step one. And then I think the follow on is even more impressive, where I was encouraged to think through an additional independent board member. And I brought someone forward who was female, and they embraced her. And in that job, she's doing very well. And we really appreciate her meeting Kathy Braybeck on our board. In addition to that is really my management team. I went into a bit of a Fast paced management team transition. And in the transition, working with Cassie and having the knowledge that she has around talent and throughout all the different types of organizations that BMG works with, I was able not only to craft the type of jobs that I needed, but also the type of talent that could come in. And I'm very happy to report that two of my key roles went to women. And that's fantastic. And that's a very different story than maybe what Stone was at before. So just that additional push. Not that I necessarily needed it, but it was certainly thrilling to be supported in that. So I really saw it in all of those ways. And then I think just to keep going, it's the ongoing way that I work with them that's really also showing such support for diversity because it's not, again, just about the financials. It's about the people and it's about really celebrating the diversity inside of the teams. So I'm very grateful for that.
1: Absolutely. And I know we're all on video with one another, but no one listening in can see anyone. But you should have seen the nods and the smiles when we heard Kathy Freybeck's name about your board. She's terrific. And less I fail to point out a former executive recruiter herself. So that's a terrific board ad for you. Shifting gears a little bit, I want to discuss more about your personal leadership experiences, because certainly both of you have had differentiated leadership experiences. You've come into private equity, you've grown your careers inside of it. Maria, what leadership skills and experiences have you found to be essential as you've navigated being a CEO at a PE-backed company?
0: I'll start with the obvious one, which is, you know, I think anybody would say that you have to start with a clear understanding of the investment thesis. Why did the firm get into the asset to begin with? What are the challenges they may or may not be facing in that investment? And what is their timetable? What is their expectation? And, you know, right at the beginning. VMG was extremely transparent, which I really appreciated, about the history of the investment and what they're looking for so that I could set the right type of expectations for my own performance. Could I imagine being successful inside of that thesis? So that's the starting point. I also would say the transparency, and I mentioned this before, ongoing, right? So as things evolve, being very transparent with what I'm learning. So in my first 90 days, as an example, it was cards face up. I worked very, very closely with my counterparts at VMG. So as I was unearthing different things, I would just have weekly calls and I would explain, okay, here's what this is about. If you had a question about this particular spend, here's why. And as we started to learn the business in a way together in the weeds, it helped me then helicopter up at that 90 day moment and write that business plan. And that led us to being on the same page with where that came from. We went on a journey together, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that's an important part of it because without that, sometimes I think CEOs tend to have an arm's length with PE members, whether that's around financials or people or control or who knows. I found that to work in the inverse. I prefer to pull everyone in and be completely transparent, be myself, talk about things that are hard, talk about things I don't know how to solve. Because I find as you work as a team, everybody works together and promotes each other for that success. And then finally, I do a lot of listening. I've talked about this before, but I really like to ask questions to my friends at BMG about different types of experiences, businesses they work with, maybe problems they're solving in other companies. There's a lot of things that if you just say, hey, are any of the other CEOs experiencing fill-in-the-blank? I mean, during COVID especially, we all were pulling from each other. Like, how are you handling this problem? How are you dealing with the labor shortage? You know, asking those kind of questions and doing a lot of listening and really the vulnerability of not knowing everything has been helpful for me.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And Listening is often that overlooked skill. When we think about private equity executives, sometimes I think there's this sense that it's all action that's required to be great at it listening requires a pause and a moment of reflection that you don't necessarily think about as action-oriented, but it truly is. So I love that you included that in. Cassie, for you, what personal leadership skills have you found to be essential both within private equity funds themselves and also within private equity-backed portfolio companies, whether you're a minority or a majority investor? There's two things that come to mind here.
2: The first I will borrow... There's an individual named Joelle Emerson who started a consultancy called Paradigm IQ. and I, I really borrow from a lot of her learning. They think of HR or talent organization in four buckets. How do you identify, select, develop, and then retain folks in your organization? And I've come to peace that I may not be able to focus on all of those with our portfolio companies. We spend more of our time on the identification and selection. But if it stopped there, it would all fall apart. And that's where I'm super grateful, especially for Maria. But a lot of the leadership teams in our portfolio companies that have a very holistic approach and, and really focus on the rest to make sure that we do create the strongest organizations possible. So I think that's one. The second, kind of this theme of generosity. All I know is BMG. But from what I hear, especially historically, it's a lot less common for private equity firms to encourage their portfolio companies to support each other or even talk to each other. And that blows my mind. Like, It's one of the most important pieces that we could do is create a community among our companies. No matter what role you're in, CEO, head of supply chain, leading social media, the job is lonely when you're at one of these companies and you're constantly looking for ways to cut corners and support each other, get access to the best resources. And and why wouldn't they do that with each other? We get feedback that it's one of the most rewarding parts of the job when working in one of our companies. I get to learn a lot from them through that exposure. And I think it just helps all of us grow more rapidly and makes our businesses more successful.
1: I love that theme. And especially when you think about the idea of how do you accelerate transformation for smaller cap companies that are scaling fast, that might have small and nimble teams idea that you crowdsource these ideas in between your really powerful brands. To your point, whether it's loneliness or the lack of loneliness driving that or performance driving that, it's an awesome way to think about how do you get more out of some of these fantastic brands that you all are known for investing in over time. Following up on that a little bit more, Cassie, how do you think about Assessing potential leaders. And what do you look for when you're interviewing, whether it's a CEO of a portfolio company or interviewing someone who's going to come in as a C suite member or C minus one? What do you look for? Are there certain skill sets or even attributes of that person?
2: There's art and science. And I do think a lot of what we do is science. I don't think there's necessarily anything particularly unique about our process. I think we're really thoughtful about what is the scorecard. So, Not the job description, but specifically in the next six to 12 months, what will this person have to accomplish? That exercise is actually really hard. (laughs) Aligning on the most important priorities before you kick off the search is really difficult. And I think a lot of my colleagues, we all play an important role in this process, both in attracting amazing folks, but then also assessing them. So we talk a lot about how interviewing is a skill that's rarely taught, but really hard to master. So I think we're kind of all on that journey and and learning together on how we can constantly be better at this. I think that's one, but there's thematically other things that I think just make, for VMG specifically, folks really excel. Part of it is a little bit around ego. Sounds cliche. I'm sure every investor feels that way. But I, I just think the humans that we work with are just phenomenal people all around, care deeply, The the human element of what we're all doing about each other probably pretty competitive, but in a way that means everybody is winning together. There's just that softer side, the, the art of this, that is hard to put a fingerprint on, but sorry, Maria, I can't imagine a person that epitomizes it more than you.
1: <laughs> wow. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think you're bluffing, <laughs> Maria, but I, I wouldn't hesitate to agree with Cassie. When you think about it, I'm going to ask you both this question. How do we get more women interested in private equity earlier in their careers whether it be on the fund side as investment professionals or operating talent or within portfolio companies themselves? It
0: would be great to try to dispel some of these myths, assuming that they're myths. There may not be myths for for no good reason, let's put it that way. But I would really like to call a call to action to the firms out there that may not feel like there's a change that needs to happen. I would tell you, in my experience, there probably is. I can tell you, I won't say who it is, but I have had situations when people were looking for talent and you didn't have a very specific experience and you weren't male and the board members weren't comfortable, quote unquote. That really does limit the type of people that you can choose from. And, you know, half the population is women. You know, you got a lot of things to choose from, you know, spread your wings and go for it once in a while, I would say, and and maybe... Try to step one step away from the quote unquote traditional, because I do think that will open the door for a lot more people. I would also say that the idea of this pressure cooker room of bankers cutthroat type of mentality, women, quite frankly, especially mothers, people that are really stretched for their time that need some flexibility, that can't do 15-hour days because, by the way, it doesn't need to be 15-hour days, that we start to find ways of being flexible with our workforces because we'll get the best out of people if we allow them to have their best selves at work. And I can't stress that enough. And I would say I would love for PE firms to hire more women such that your websites become a bit more welcoming or are just reflective, maybe, of the other population that could be coming your way that might
2: not feel like they could fit in the way they would normally by seeing pictures and hearing your stories. I like that you used demystifying. It came to mind for me too. Generally speaking, recruiters take a very transactional approach. You can feel it as a candidate. You can feel when you don't fit a spec or if you're not interested how closely you're dismissed. And I think you know it's important to recognize that This is fun for me because I work with the coolest folks in the industry and their kindness to share their story with me and open up. I don't take that for granted. And maybe that means we work together right away, the first role we ever talk about. But I recognize that it probably is more likely we may never work together or it might take years before we figure out the right thing. It's still equally important that I invest and them and sharing as much as possible around how I perceive this industry works and how we do it a little bit differently. I'd also like to see, this is very tactical, but I'd like to see more recruiters start every single search with a pipeline of who they might consider that is a woman, that is historically excluded ethnically, that identifies as LGBTQ. I would put veteran and disabled in that category as well. Start the search there, and then I think you'd be surprised by what the pipeline looks like. And if you're struggling, I think that means you've got to be even more intentional about how you're getting to know folks in the industry. And it's hard, but it's like a daily thing you have to do.
1: To your point, Cassie, if you don't have real and meaningful relationships, and if you haven't taken the time to really get to know people and their stories, it is hard to do a very fast last second search if you don't have real relationships. And every time you try to do it fast without those real relationships, You'll never have true representation of historically excluded groups. You just can't. And so it's going to take more time and care and a more thoughtful approach that's less analog to get it done. It will take time if it's not invested in today. And I'd argue that like VMG is known as a purveyor of interesting talent from different backgrounds. I think there will be funds who don't address this for years who will wake up one day and realize that because they've never tried hard with themselves, they're not going to attract the talent they want ultimately in their portfolio companies either. So I love hearing what you're saying and I I couldn't agree more with you. Let's go on to the next one for both of you again. As we bring this conversation to a close, I want to ask you one last question. What's the single most important way your organization is building on the lessons of the last year? Or frankly, maybe it's more than just one way. We've had a global pandemic. We've had social justice movements. We've had shifting work environments. If not now, when? What lessons are you taking to heart and how are you building on those?
0: So first off, I want to say as diverse as I ever thought I was, I've learned so much in this last year and a half. So I think part of it is just personalizing it. And realizing that I myself need to come a long way and then really raising my hand to my teams and the whole organization to use this as a call to action to learn to listen and then learn from the things we don't know and give a microphone to people in order for them to be able to speak up and tell us what we need to learn. We had this situation that happened in craft beer recently where a woman on Instagram wrote a story about how she was harassed in the beer industry and it was particular to craft beer. And with that one post was a sea change that happened. It was post after post after post of all these women and their stories. And it was very hard to read. Of course, there were hundreds of them. And we addressed it inside of our town halls. We've created Women of Stone just to have a forum to talk and to air it out and to ask for help if needed, to ask for tips if things are hard in their work teams, raise their hand in a safe environment even an anonymous number to call if they're not comfortable talking to somebody in Cytosome because some people just aren't, you know, but they want someone to talk to. So you got to offer that up. Just all the things that we didn't have, we didn't have these tools. We didn't have these tools in our toolbox until all of this took place. And so to me, it's an ongoing conversation. It's not a point in time. It's not just this one instance. I think it's a recognition that this is a change moment and, you know, use it for good and find a way to continue to iterate on that into the future rather than just one and done. That's how I see it.
2: Early pandemic last year, after the murder of George Floyd, one of our partners, Elisa Williams, who's a Black woman, was in Los Angeles. And when the protests were happening, there was a curfew. She actually was arrested a block outside of her house trying to get home. And the first thing she did was call our general partners. That alone, I think, is an important validation that We're doing something right where we have a culture where we can talk about these things. But then they asked her if she would feel comfortable telling that story to our entire company. And what came out of that was a lot of tears, just a lot of honesty, a lot of action as well. And the thing that just comes to mind is like the lesson there is courage. I think we could have gone about our week not giving that platform to her or to others to brainstorm ideas. Same with Maria, I think the majority of breweries didn't have the courage to have that type of conversation. You can't control what would come out of it. There might not be answers and it's going to be really hard to listen to. So there's going to be more social injustice moments in the future. And I just encourage companies to continue have the courage to whatever that means at that time to face it.
0: I mean, I've worked for companies, good, better and different, mostly bad that, you know, just want to create a PR statement. To stop the conversation. I think the trick here is to create an internal conversation that continues so that you're building a safe work environment. We're responsible for that.
1: Maria, you shared with me one time that coming off of your Lagunitas sale to Heineken, you had a lot of phone calls. A lot of people like me were calling you. A lot of funds were asking you to come on board. With such a successful deal, you had your pick of where you could have gone. I think it's a real testament to what top talent can do with their careers and how you pick where you go next. Can you tell us about how you decided to go with VMG and how you thought about joining them?
0: Yeah. So I'll start with the fact that it was in the middle of the pandemic and me being sort of like a love of work and then having the pandemic happen, I think sprinkled a little panic in all of us like, holy cow, you know, am I going to find a job? What's going to, you know, so I think there was a little bit of that pressing on my shoulders, but then every day I had to walk myself into reality, which was silly. That was just my own inner voices. But I, I remember, yes, getting calls about roles and reading job specs and thinking, could I do that? Maybe I could, right? Would I enjoy that? I'm not sure. Is this the shoe that fits? And that's where it started to pinch was I wasn't finding exactly the right thing in the more traditional way that I would look for a job in the past. And so a wake up call happened one day, and I thought, you know, I'm going to just call my network. I'm going to call the trusted people that I have always had throughout my career, that have always been references that know me the best. And I'm going to ask them, what do they think, and really get some advice about what to do. And then taking that advice, because sometimes when you listen to what other people think you're good at, you have to start really putting that into your brain and think, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to really reconsider something here. And then one of my dearest and closest people in my network said, well, you just spent five years learning this really cool craft beer industry. Why are you not thinking about that more? And this is well before I knew about the job at Stone. And I thought, that's really interesting. And he's like, do you have a non-compete? And I said, no. And I said, well, that's a good idea. So keep that in mind. So then cut to another person saying, why don't you take your career in your own hands? Stop taking all these random phone calls for one moment. Put the phone down, take a piece of paper, write down what you really are good at and what you think you could do next that you would thoroughly enjoy. And then put that into words. And then also ask your network who in the world you should be talking to about your skills. And when I started asking that question, VMG came right up. I mean, they were probably within one or two of the top 10 that I heard about over and over again. And it was about the people. It was about how they work, what their values were, it's how they prioritize. It's about how they think about how board meetings would be run, how the partners treat you. I mean, it was every corner case that I was possibly worried about. So I wrote it down. And I went on and I contacted the very person I was told to reach out to on LinkedIn by myself. Like first time I've ever done that with like my little hi, I'm Maria. And within five minutes, John Marshall called me and it was like rolling downhill from there. We immediately understood each other. We got along fantastic. I work with him today and I got to say, he's the dearest person. And I'm very grateful to have had that fortune of connecting with him.
2: Yeah, John is amazing. Some of what happened behind the scenes when that happened, John immediately told me. And we got so excited. We're like, this doesn't happen. That's so like Maria falls in your lap. This is incredible. And I was actually spending some time getting to know a lot of the operators in the beer space. And so funny, we you know thinking through a marketing role, thinking through a sales role. So I actually started reaching out to a lot of Maria's team. Who knows how it would have all worked out? But I was keeping in the back of my mind. I think John's gonna love this conversation. He absolutely did. I'm, you know, lining up all these people that worked for her, and so would ask them questions around what's been the most transformational person you've worked for. You know, talk to me a little bit about some of the things that happened at Stone, and it was just. So clear how much they were so grateful for Maria's leadership in in their entire career. Some of the things that she bravely pioneered them to do, like a joint venture in cannabis or like taking a brewery who had never been in aluminum cans and doing it for the first time and having a lot of fun with it by calling it 12th of Never. These themes were just constant. And so that was, I think, one of the best things you could ask for is not only do you love getting to meet the person, but everyone surrounding them feels the same way. I have to add to that
0: because it wasn't just me, right? My teams were incredible and are incredible. And I've worked with founders that are just incredibly brilliant that really pushed my own boundaries of creativity. I think if it wasn't for those sharp-edged founders, God love them, I never would have sharpened my own skills. And it's not always easy, but it's always a value, so.
1: I love that story. Thanks, Maria. Whether you're a woman or not, if you have children or you're at a certain point in your life, you couldn't possibly do something in private equity unless you gave up on those dreams. To your point, Cassie, I call a lot of candidates. And so much of the conversation I have with candidates who are underrepresented is really dispelling some of the myths if I have the right private equity client to help them understand that they too can have a place in private equity. So Maria and Cassie, too, both of you working in private equity, how do you do the, even not work-life balance, but the work-life weave?
0: Let's put it this way. I had twins at 39 years old. That was not the plan, by the way. And I remember my doctor saying, welcome to a new world of not being in control, which you know I didn't like at all. So there was that. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I was at Activision at the time and I was working nonstop. And I remember thinking, how's this going to go? And I would say, even today, my kids are 15, they're twins, and they're crazy. And all kinds of things happen all the time. And balancing that through the years has definitely created its challenges. No lie. You can't say you can have it all. I don't necessarily believe that. I've missed a lot of basketball games. I've missed a lot of moments with my kids over the years. But all three of us have come to the realization and kids are amazing with this, is how do you have quality time? Put the phone down, stop getting on the computer every 15 seconds and really listen and be with them. I found that quality time with my kids is worth way more. And I would also say that kids are more adaptable than you think. So give them a lot of credit for the things that they understand. And they get a lot out of seeing you work hard. I'm just here to say they're proud of you for going to work and doing your thing and being successful. Show them how to do it and they'll do it. And then I guess the other thing I'll say is I couldn't do it without Marlo here at home helping me. I'm just not going to lie. You got to do it. You got to have a team. You got to have a community because you can't do it all. You're going to have to rely on somebody to help you once in a while and or all the time as it stands in my house. Make sure to be honest about that.
2: All I will add is that I am so much more than just a talent partner in private equity, I'd like to think. And you have to recognize that all of the identities that people have make them better at their day job. So if you don't create space for them to have all of those other identities, you're missing out on probably all those other learnings and what makes them incredible and special and awesome. I don't think there's a silver bullet for how you create space for them to do that. I do think it's being really intentional about parental care, around benefits, around culture, around a lot of things. But it's just the recognition that like you should be able to bring your whole self to work. And that's talking about what you did on the weekend and the people you spend your life with, all of those things.
1: Cheers to that, preferably with a stone brewing IPA, I think, if Maria has her way. But thank you so much to both of you for contributing to this. There's so much passion in this. So thank you for being a part of this today.
0: Thank you, Amanda. Cheers, everybody.
1: And thank you for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Thanks for
0: listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your
1: connections? Until next time.